ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so today then we are on the tafsir of Surah Al-Adiyat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ سُبْحَا فَأَفَرْنَ بِهِ نَقْعَا فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَا إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودٍ وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٍ وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٍ أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ وَحُصِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ لَخَبِيرٍ in these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned at the beginning, وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا By the steeds that run with panting. We'll come to all the explanation in a moment. فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا Striking sparks of fire. By their hooves. فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha And scouring to the raid at dawn. فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ نَقَعَا And raised the dust clouds in the wild. فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَا And penetrating forthwith as one into the midst of the foe. We'll explain all this in a moment. Verily man, a disbeliever, is ungrateful to his Lord. And to that he bears witness by his deeds. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٍ And verily, <coughs> he is violent in the love of wealth. أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ Knows he not that when the contents of the graves are poured forth, all of mankind is resurrected. وَحُصِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ and that which is in the breasts of men is made known. And then, إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَ إِذٍ Verily that day, on the day of resurrection, their Lord will be well acquainted with them to their deeds and the rewards for their deeds. So the opening ayah, had mentioned وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا which in the English here it says by the steeds 
that run with panting. The meaning here, as Sheikh Al-Ithaymeen explains, Firstly, that is an oath, just like Wal-Asr. Here it's an oath, Wal-Adiyati. It is an oath being taken again. But what is it being taken upon? What is Al-Adiyati Dabha? هل المراد الخيل يعني والخيل العاديات أو المراد الإبل يعني الإبل العاديات There are two explanations the scholars have mentioned about العاديات والعاديات ضبحا That it could be talking about horses or it could be talking about camels it could be talking about horses or it could be talking about camels. And if it is talking about the camels, if this that the camels they move along panting when they are taking their breath, the camels are moving along panting. Then upon that tafsir, it is in reference to Hajj. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَالْ إِنَّ الْمَوْصُوفَ هِيَ الْإِبْلِ وَالتَّقْدِيرِ وَالْإِبْلِ الْعَادِيَاتِ يَعْنِي بِهَا الْإِبْلِ الَّتِي تَعْدُوا مِنْ عَرَفَ إِلَى مُزْدَلِفَةِ ثُمَّ إِلَى مِنَةِ وَذَلِكَ فِي مَنَاسِكِ الْحَجِّ So if it means camels, the camels that go forth, panting as they move on, then that would be in the context of Hajj. When they went to Hajj and they had riding animals with them, they had camels with them, and they were going from Arafah to Muzdalifah, Muzdalifah to Mina, and they were performing the rites of Hajj, and they had some camels with them. And so perhaps, وَالْعَادِيَاتِ is in reference to the camels as they go along panting during the Hajj moving from Arafah to Muzdalifah, Muzdalifah to Mina. That is one opinion regarding the meaning of Wal-Adiyati Dabha. The camels uh, that run uh, panting. Wastadallu lihada. بأن هذه السورة مكية وأنه ليس في مكة جهات على الخيل حتى يقسم حتى يقسم بها. The evidence that some of the scholars used to say that this ayah is talking about the camels, not the horses. Normally, the tafsir of this ayah you see it as the horses that are running and panting. But some of them, they say it is the camels. And one of their evidences is that this particular chapter, Surah Al-Adiyat, was it revealed in Mecca or Medina? Mecca. In Mecca, was jihad established? No. That was later. In Mecca, there was no jihad established. And the other opinion 
generally references the running horses in jihad. They say, but this surah was revealed in Makkah. There was no jihad at that time. So how could the tafsir be about the horses running into battle? So they take the opinion, it's about the camels. The camels during the hajj when they were moving uh, from one place to another place, Arafah, Muzdalifa, Mina, and they were panting as they move along with the goods on their backs and the people on their backs. That is one opinion of the tafsir here. The second opinion, which is the stronger opinion now, the majority opinion, the jumhur opinion, القول الثاني لجمهور المفسرين وهو صحيح فإن الموصوف هو الخيل that actually what is being described here is horses والعاديات the horses والعاديات ضبحا the horses when they run panting so the oath being taken is upon the horses and this is the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. Wal but then they are going to have to explain the problem that the other opinion mentioned that this surah was revealed in Mecca and there was no jihad yet. So how are you going to say that this is about the horses when they are running into jihad there was no jihad? So they say, no, it's not a problem. Because they say, Al-Khayl, Al-Adiyat, Ma'lumah, Lil-Arab, Hatta, Qabla, Mashru'iyat, Al-Jihad. Hunaka, Khaylun, Ta'du, Ala, A'da'iha, Sawa'an, Bi-Haq, Aw, Bi-Ghayri, Haq, Fima, Qabla, Al-Islam. Amma, Ba'da, Al-Islam, Fal-Khayl, Ta'du, Ala, A'da'iha, Bi-Haq. That the horses running and panting upon the enemy. That is something which was known to the Arabs even before the obligation of jihad. Whenever some battle occurred before jihad and before these affairs, the Arabs, they would take their horses on horseback running into the enemy. That was something known to them even before jihad and then the horses running into jihad. So that was something established and recognized and known. That's what they used to do. Ride on horseback into the enemy lines. And so they used to do that even before. Even before the obligation of jihad. Even before Islam. They used to do that. And maybe it was upon oppression that they used to do it in those days. Going and attacking people wrongly. Maybe it was with due right. That's another thing. But the point is, this action was known to them, even before Islam, riding on the horses and uh, riding them into the enemy lines, so the horses would be running and panting. That was something known to them, the horses are known to them. So the scholars who take this opinion say, you don't have to make it directly connected to jihad, even before that. This concept was known to the Arabs riding on the horseback and running into the enemies. So here then, وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا By the steeds, the horses. By the horses. This is an oath being taken. Just like before, وَالْعَصَرِ By time, 
Hear now by the horses that run, panting. So, al-adiyat wal-adi ism fa'il min al-udu wa huwa sur'atu al-mashi wal-intilaq. Al-adiyat, it's from the verb in Arabic which indicates moving quickly, running quickly, or walking very quickly. So, wal-adiyat idabha, those horses that are basically running they are going at speed. And dhabha, dhabha is in reference to the panting. When they are breathing, the horses, the panting, that sound that they make, that is the dhabha. Al-dhabh, ma yusma'u min ajwafil khayl hina ta'du bisur'ah. That is the sound that is heard from the Horses, when they are running at speed, meaning the panting sounds of the horses. So, al-adiyat, meaning the running horses. Dhabha, panting. So that ayah is an oath by the running horses as they pant, or with their panting. Then, فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا Striking sparks of fire with their hooves. Their feet, the horse's feet. Striking sparks of fire with their hooves. الْمُورِيَاتِ مِنْ أَوْرَى أَوْ وُرِيَا بِمَعْنَى قَدْحَ يعني بذلك قدح النار حينما يضرب الأحجار بعضها ببعض. This is in reference to sparks flying, meaning the hooves of the horses as they are running and striking the ground, then the sparks they fly. When their hooves strike the ground, particularly solid surfaces, as they are running with speed, then the sparks, they fly from their hooves, connecting to the rocks and the solid surfaces as they run along. And that is from the severity of their speed as they run along their hooves, striking along the ground, sparks flying when contact is made on the solid surface. So that is to highlight the strength of those, uh, of those uh, horses and the speed of those horses and the manner that they are running with power and grinding into the ground as they run, striking the sparks with their hooves. فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا That is from the verb indicating to spark something. So this is in reference to their hooves sparking when they are grinding or touching along the solid surfaces of the rock as they run with speed and strength. Then, فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha And raise the dust clouds in the wild. Meaning, when the horses are running with speed like that, a large group of them, then behind them there will be a big dust cloud. They will leave behind a big dust cloud as they run forward. 
So fal mughirati subha in fact no sorry and scouring to the raid at dawn the subha that's the next section the uh, clouds this is scouring to the raid at dawn fal mughirati subha in the morning scouring to the raid at dawn meaning that they enter upon their enemies at the time of dawn فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha that they go and attack upon the enemy at the time of morning when the enemy is still uh, in negligence and uh, tiredness and sleep that they go and pounce upon them at that early time that is فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha. Al-Mughirat, Subhan, that's the morning. Al-Mughirat, that they go and pounce upon them or enter upon them, attack upon them at the time of morning. Then, فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ نَقَعَ That is the reference to the dust clouds that they leave behind. The dust clouds as they run with speed, behind them those dust clouds are formed. فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ نَقَعَ And raise the dust in clouds the while. Then, فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَ And penetrating forthwith as one into the midst of the foe. فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَ Meaning that this you can imagine a, a large group of horses running in the desert and a big cloud of dust behind them. So you have all of those horses in that running together and they enter into the enemies in those groups and in those formations. In the formations of the horses running together, they penetrate and enter into the enemy lines. فَوَسَطْنَا أَيْ تَوَسَطْنَا بِهَذَا الْغُضَارِ جَمْعًا أَيْ جُمُوعًا مِنَ الْأَعْدَاءِ أَيْ أَنَّهَا لَيْسَ لَهَا غَايَةٌ وَلَا تَنْتَهِي غَايَتُهَا إِلَّا وَسَطْ الْأَعْدَاءِ وَهَذِهِ غَايَةٌ مَا يَكُونُ مِنْ مَنَافِعِ الْخَيْلِ مَعَ أَنَّ الْخَيْلِ كُلَّهَا خَيْرٍ كَمَا قَالَ النَّبِيُّ الْخَيْلُ مَعْقُودٌ فِي نَوَاصِيهَا الْخَيْرِ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فأقسم الله تعالى بهذه العاديات بهذه الخيل التي بلغت الغاية وهو الإغارة على العدو وتوسط العدو من غير خوف ولا تعب ولا ملل. So when he mentions here فوسطنا به جمعا they enter into the enemy lines as one. All of the horses running with a big cloud of dust behind them penetrate into the enemy line into the center and the core of the enemy as one group. They go into that. And that's what it mentions, penetrating forthwith, that they go uh, 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 break into the enemy lines as one, into the midst, into the middle of, into the core of the enemy formation. And so this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken an oath by here, taken the oath by the running horses, panting, 
striking sparks of fire with their hooves, scouring to the raid, going into the raid on the enemy early in the morning and leaving dust clouds behind them and penetrating, going into, breaking into the core and the center of the enemy line without any fatigue and without any fear, going in with strength and ability. That is what is mentioned about the horses and the horses are praised. They are praised. It is mentioned in Al-Bukhari how the Prophet ﷺ praised horses. And so that is the oath taken here. Then after the oath, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala further emphasizes and tells us, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودِ Again, you have all of the different forms of emphasis. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودَ All of those are forms of emphasis that indeed mankind or man, meaning the disbelievers, they are ungrateful to their Lord. The disbeliever is ungrateful to his Lord. After taking all of these oaths, Allah tells us the disbelieving man, the disbeliever is ungrateful to his Lord. And this incorporates every type of person. Al-insan, al-murad, bil-insan, huna al-jins. Ay anna jins al-insan, idha lam yuwaffaq lil-hidayah, fa-innahu lakanood. That mankind, all of mankind, if they are not guided to success, they are not given success to guidance and uprightness and to a sirat al-mustaqim, they're not given that. If they are not given that, then they will be left <coughs> as ungrateful disbelievers, rejecting the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَكَنُودْ أَيْ كَفُورٌ لِنِعْمَةِ اللَّهِ عِزَّ وَجَلٌ That the person will therefore be ungrateful to the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودْ Verily, man is ungrateful to his Lord. فالمراد بالإنسان هنا الجنس وقيل المراد بالإنسان هو الكافر So some scholars say here it is a general ayah that mankind on the whole they are ungrateful to their Lord but others they say actually it is specifically in reference to the kuffar that they are the ones who are ungrateful to their Lord فَعَلَى هَذَا يَكُونُ عَامًّا أُرِيدَ بِهِ الْخَاصِ وَالْأَظْهَرْ أَنَّ الْمُرَادِ بِهِ الْعُمُومِ So if we say that al-insan is only referring to the kuffar, then we would say that this word is a general word because insan just means any man, mankind. 
But the meaning of it is specific, the kuffar. That is if you say that the ayah is referencing the kuffar only. But otherwise, if you take the opinion that it is general, then it is left upon its generality, al-insan, meaning all of mankind. وَأَنَّ جِنْسَ الْإِنسَانِ الْأَظْهَرْ أَنَّ الْمُرَادِ بِهِ الْعُمُومِ وَأَنَّ جِنْسَ الْإِنسَانِ لَوْلَا هِدَايَةُ اللَّهِ لَكَانَ كَنُودًا لِرَبِّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَ That all of mankind, was it not for the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then all of them, they would be ungrateful to Allah. وَالْكَنُودُ هُوَ الْكُفْرِ Meaning that they would be upon disbelief, ungrateful to Allah, i.e. upon disbelief and kufr, اَيْ كَافِرٌ لِنِعْمَةِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ That he would be a disbeliever to the blessings of Allah, rejecting the blessings of Allah. يَرْزُقُهُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلُ فَيَزْدَادُ بِهَذَا الرِّزْقِ عُتُوًّا وَنُفُورًا So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows upon him rizq, he ends up being arrogant and haughty and rejecting that blessing and denying that blessing to be from the blessings of Allah and refusing to attribute it to Allah. فَإِنَّ مِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَطْغَى إِذَا رَآهُ قَدْ إِسْتَغْنَى عَنِ اللَّهِ Because there are some people who transgress. <coughs> If they think <clears throat> there are some people who transgress, if they think that they are self-sufficient, they think that they've got everything they need in life, they think they are set, they think nothing can harm them now, and so they think they can suffice without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they can suffice for themselves now, they have everything set now, and that is of course incorrect. يَجْحَدُ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ And they begin therefore rejecting the blessings of Allah, thinking what they've got is what they've earned for themselves. And that is incorrect and a deficiency in the tawheed of a person if he believes that he has gained what he has got by his own uh, skill and by his own doing. So as a consequence, if a person becomes arrogant in that way, thinking what he's got is because of what he has earned for himself and what he has gained for himself with his skill and superiority and intellect, then he rejects it being a blessing of Allah and does not thank Allah, thinking he has earned it and got it for himself with his intelligence and intellect. So he won't be thanking Allah and he won't be recognizing that actually all of this is a blessing upon him from Allah. And that therefore means, لا يقوم بطاعة الله لأنه كنود لنعمة الله That person, that type of individual, will then not worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will not fulfill obedience to Allah, because he doesn't recognize all of these blessings Allah has given him. 
He thinks he's got these blessings for himself. He's worked hard and he's earned them and he's got them for himself. And he refuses or neglects to remember that everything he has, all of the wealth he has, everything that he owns, all of it has been given to him from Allah. So if he doesn't think about that and he doesn't recognize that, then he will end up not worshipping Allah and fulfilling obedience to Allah. But as for the one who recognizes that everything he has is a blessing from Allah upon him, then he will be encouraged to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more. Then Allah says, after telling us that indeed man is ungrateful to his Lord, وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ That indeed he bears witness to that. He bears witness to that. But who bears witness? إِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ إِنَّهُ الضمير يعود على من؟ الإنسان so when it says إِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ that indeed he bears witness to that. Is that talking about the person? The person bears witness to that or is it talking about Allah? So الضمير إِنَّهُ الضمير قيل يعود على الله أي أن الله تعالى يشهد على العبد بأنه كفور لنعمة الله وقيل إنه عائد على الإنسان نفسه أي أن الإنسان يشهد على نفسه بكفر نعمة الله عز وجل So there are two opinions Some scholars they say that when it says وَإِنَّهُ and indeed he bears witness to that that he is rejecting the blessings of Allah he bears witness to it himself One opinion is that it's talking about Allah, that Allah bears witness upon these ungrateful people that they are rejecting the blessings of Allah. Allah testifies upon them, recorded and registered upon them. Allah testifies that these individuals are rejecting his blessings. But the second opinion is when it says indeed he bears testimony to that or bears witness to that, meaning he, the person himself who is rejecting the blessings of Allah, Himself he is witnessing to his own action. How is he witnessing to his own action? With his deeds. When he refuses to accept or rejects the blessings of Allah, then as a consequence he isn't bothering to worship Allah. He's committing sins. Those sins are a testimony upon him that he has rejected the blessings of Allah. His disobedience, his disobedience to Allah is a testimony upon him that he has rejected the blessings of Allah. So through his own actions, he is witnessing to the fact that he is not acknowledging the blessings of Allah. So that is what's mentioned. وَالصَّوَابِ أَنَّ الْآيَةِ Shaykh al says both of those meanings are included within the ayah. 
Allah testifies upon that person or witnesses upon that person, no doubt. And the person himself witnesses upon himself through his disobedience to Allah. And that shows that he is rejecting the blessings of Allah. So both of those meanings are possible. فَاللَّهُ شَهِيدٌ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِ ابْنِ آدَمٍ وَشَهِيدٌ عَلَى عَمَلِهِ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bears witness to what is in the heart of a person and also bears witness upon his actions. وَالْإِنسَانُ أَيْضًا شَهِيدٌ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ And a person is also a witness upon himself. A person is also a witness upon himself. لكن قد يقر بهذه الشهادة في الدنيا وقد لا يقر بها فيشهد على نفسه يوم القيامة. Ah, so if we say that the meaning is or, or the, the explanation about the person being a witness upon himself, does that mean that a person verbally acknowledges and accepts and admits what he's doing? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But even if he doesn't, the Sheikh says, even if a person doesn't, and some people may, some kuffar outright, they say, of course, we reject that and this is what we've done and I've earned this for myself. Some may be witnessing to that directly and openly. Others may not. And even for those who do not, then it is mentioned that Yawmul Qiyamah, they will certainly end up in a situation where they must witness upon themselves. As it is mentioned about how the hands and the feet and the tongues will speak against the person. His own hands and his own feet will speak and mention what he did. So he will end up being a witness upon himself for the actions that he did. Then Allah says, وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ That indeed mankind is severe in his love for wealth. He is severe in his love for wealth. لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ الخير هو المال. Here, the khair, when it says lihubbil khair, it is talking about wealth. It is talking about wealth. Like in Surah Al-Baqarah, Kutiba alaykum idha hadara ahadakum al-maut in taraka khairan il-wasiyah. The khair is talking about mal, ay in taraka malan kathira, fal khair huwa al-mal. So the khair here is talking about wealth. وَالْإِنسَانُ حُبُّهُ لِلْمَالِ أَمْرٌ ظَاهِرٌ And mankind, their love for wealth is something apparent. That is something clear. The love that mankind has to wealth, that is something clear and apparent. As it is mentioned, we're going to get to it later. وَتُحِبُّونَ الْمَالَ حُبًّا جَمَّا We're going to get to Surah Al-Fajr later on. Talking about how mankind loves 
wealth, and that is something apparent in their nature. وَلَا تَكَادْ تَجِدُ أَحَدًا يَسْلَمْ مِنَ الْحُبِّ الشَّدِيدِ لِلْمَالِ أَمَّا الْحُبِّ مُطْلَقَ الْحُبِّ فَهَذَا ثَابِتٌ لِكُلِّ أَحَدٍ مَا مِنْ إِنْسَانٍ إِلَّا وَيَحِبُّ الْمَالِ لكن الشدة ليست لكل أحد Generally loving wealth That is something that applies to everybody Everybody loves wealth That is in the nature of mankind To have wealth, to gain wealth Generally speaking At the general level of loving to have wealth That is something that applies to everybody But here it doesn't talk about just generally loving to have wealth, which applies to everybody. Here it says, Having a severe love for wealth. That is not necessarily applicable to everyone. It's applicable to everyone to have a general love for wealth. But a severe love for wealth, that is going to be for some, not everyone. That is going to be some people, not everyone. بعض الناس يحب المال الذي تقوم به الكفاية. Some people, they love wealth to the extent, to the amount that covers their needs. They love the wealth to the level that it covers their needs. And no more, not that they be a millionaire or billionaire or anything, enough to cover their needs. There used to be times we used to get taxis in Saudi Arabia, and sometimes the drivers, they would say, this fare that you give me is going to be the evening meal for us tonight. This fare that you give us now, this three pounds, four pounds, five pounds for the taxi ride, this is going to be the supper for us, for my family tonight. So some people, their love of wealth is enough to cover their needs. Enough to cover their needs and no more. Enough to earn enough that you don't have to go beg or ask anybody. Earn enough to cover yourself, and that's enough. وَبَعْضُ النَّاسِ يُرِيدُ أَكْثَرِ But there are some people who want more. وَبَعْضُ النَّاسِ يُرِيدُ أَوْسَعِ وَأَوْسَعِ And some people want even more and more. فَالْمُهِمْ أَنَّ كُلَّ إِنْسَانِ فَإِنَّهُ مُحِبٌّ لِلْخَيْرِ أي الْمَالِ لَكِنَ الشِّدَّةِ تَخْتَلِفْ وَيَخْتَلِفْ يَخْتَلِفْ فِيهَا النَّاسِ مِنْ شَخْصِ لِآخِرِ So the point is, as Shaykh Al-Athameen says, that every person has a love for wealth. But the severity of that love and the depth of it and the level of it, that's what differs from person to person. There are some people, they work a hundred hours a week, not because they have to, 
but because that 100 hours a week will make sure they get their 100,000 pounds or whatever for that month. I've heard of people, firsthand, I, I know of people who work in jobs, high paying jobs, hundreds of thousands, but look at what they have to do. I know personally, firsthand, a person who used to work in a high paying job, hundreds of thousands of pounds, go in at like 8 o'clock in the morning, go to the office, 8 o'clock in the morning, go to the office, work all day, doing the big business deals, multi-million pound business deals with the countries and different companies, writing the reports and doing the accounts and all that, all day, to 8 o'clock in the morning, gets to 8 o'clock at night, carrying on still in the office, all night, till 6 a.m. in the morning. This is true. Till 6 a.m. in the morning, so he's been working now 22 hours, go home to do what? To have a shower, and then what? If you're getting hundreds of thousands, you're not allowed to sleep. So then go home, have a shower, maybe get a sandwich for breakfast, 7 o'clock, 7.30, 8 a.m., back in the office to carry on. You need to do that business deal with the company from this country, from that country. But a person must think to himself, hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands, but to sacrifice your day like that? As they say, that saying they have in English, you either live to work or you work to live. Some people, they live to work, mashaAllah. But other people, they work to live. Go and earn what you need and get on with your life and do your talab al-ilm and other things. But other people, their, their careers and their lives become the goal in that work and salary. And there's no harm in working and earning and, and getting promotions and getting more money. No harm in that. It's not wrong. But a person must make sure that Work and those affairs do not take over your lives to the extent you are no longer memorizing Quran at all, reading Quran at all, attending gatherings of knowledge at all, hadith, sunnah, listening to lectures at all. You do not want to get to that level. A person takes from the dunya what he needs. And then after that, you focus on your afterlife. And the dunya as well, it is not like it's exclusive. You are out there working, taking what you need to fulfill your Islamic rights, to fulfill the rights of your home, to spend on your wife, to spend on your children. So it is interconnected in that way too. So here the Shaykh says everybody has a love of wealth, no doubt, but the severity of that love, that's what differs in people. It reminds me as well, I, I see it sometimes. When you go to, for example, a supermarket or a newsagent or something, and you're waiting in the queue, and you see in front of you a person buys a little bit of shopping, like 15, 20 pounds, and then spends another 10 pounds or 15 pounds on the, huh? the lottery, the scratch card. I'll have two of the yellow ones, two of the 500,000 pound ones, one of the two million pound ones, they buy maybe 10, 
I've seen people in front of me, their whole shopping was maybe 15 pounds, and they are buying 15 pounds of pieces of paper. 200,000, 1 million, 1.5 million, 10 million, buying the cards, and then as they're walking out, scratching, scratching, nothing, throwing it, throwing it, throwing it. All the 15 pieces of paper have become, from 10 million pounds they were worth, he thought, they have become scraps of paper on the floor, now nothing else. So the people, their level of love to try and get wealth, you see where they go. And of course, that is haram, the lottery and those affairs. So then here, after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ Does he not know that when the contents of the grave are brought out, does he not know that when the contents of the graves are brought out, meaning when uh, the people are resurrected from their graves, when all of the people uh, are, are resurrected like spread out locusts. You know, when you have the locusts, well, like you imagine moths or insects, a big group of them flying around, that they will be resurrected like locusts scattered everywhere. And they will all be resurrected in one go, in one moment. So Allah says, does he not know that when the contents of the graves, meaning the people, when they are taken out and they are resurrected, And then what is in the hearts of mankind is extracted. What is in the hearts of mankind is then extracted. So then, when the, con- the, the, the inner intentions and actions of the heart are extracted and become known, your trust, your dependence, your love, your fear, your hope, all of these affairs from the heart are then extracted and become known. وَهُنَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلَ الْعُمْدَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has highlighted here that the key will be what is in the hearts. Meaning all of your actions that you do on the day of judgment, you're going to be judged upon them based upon your intentions. All of your deeds, all of your actions, the accountability on that day will be upon your intentions, will be upon your Goals and objectives. As we're going to get to later. On that day when the secrets are made clear. When the inner uh, workings of a person become apparent. In this world you interact with the people upon what is apparent. You interact with the people upon what is apparent. حَتَّى الْمُنَافِقِ يُعَامَلْ كَمَا يُعَامَلْ الْمُسْلِمْ حَقًّا Even the hypocrites, they are interacted with as a Muslim is interacted with. لَكِنْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ الْعَمَلْ عَلَى مَا فِي الْقَلْبِ 
But in the afterlife, the interaction with every person will not be upon the apparent, it will be upon the inward, their intention, their heart, what was in there. وَلِهَذَا يَجِبُ عَلَيْنَا أَنَّ بِقُلُوبِنَا قَبْلَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَبْلَ الْعَمَالِ That's why it is important for us all to focus on our hearts before anything else, before even uh, our actions, that your actions, before you even do them, you have to make sure your intention is sincere and correct. لِأَنَّ الْقَلْبُ هُوَ الَّذِي عَلَيْهِ الْمَدَارِ because the heart, that is what everything revolves around. And that is what the recompense will be upon on the day of judgment. And that's why Allah said, That when the affairs of the heart are extracted and known, مُنَاسَبَةُ الْآيَتَيْنِ بَعْضِهِمَا لِبَعْضِ أَنَّ بَعْثَرَتْ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ إِخْرَاجٌ لِلْأَجْسَادِ مِنْ بَوَاطِنِ الْأَرْضِ وَالتَّحْصِيلِ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ إِخْرَاجٌ لِمَا فِي الصُّدُورِ مِمَّا تَكْنِهِ الصُّدُورِ So these two ayat, they are connected. One ayah is telling us, أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ That's when the physical bodies are taken out of the grave. The apparent, the physical bodies. Then, وَحُسِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ Then the internal is thereafter extracted. So the external is extracted, the bodies, then the internal is extracted from them, from their hearts and what is concealed within their hearts. So the resurrection will be to extract what the earth is hiding, and then afterwards from the chests will be to extract what each person is hiding. And all of that then becomes clear. So then Allah says at the end, إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَ إِذٍ Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day will be well acquainted with them. Meaning Allah will know everything about them, all of their inner workings, their intentions, their heart, all of it will become known. أَيْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِهِمْ أَيْ بِالْعِبَادِ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be all knowledgeable of them. وَجَاءَتْ تَعْبِيرَ بِهِمْ وَلَمْ يَقُلْ بِهِ مَعَ أَنَّ الْإِنسَانَ مُفْرَدْ The ayat so far had been talking about one person. All of the ayat were in the singular. If you notice, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودِ A person is... Uh, uh, ungrateful to his Lord and then he testifies to that and he loves wealth severely it's all one person he this, he that, he this all of these ayat are talking about everything in the form of one person in the singular but in this final ayah it comes in the plural that indeed your Lord will be all knowledgeable, all knowledgeable of them how has it become plural here when all of the context of the ayat was in the singular before that? لم يقل به مع أن الإنسان مفرد باعتبار المعنى أي أنه أعاد الضمير على الإنسان باعتبار المعنى لأن معنى إن الإنسان أي أن كل إنسان So obviously here that Allah will be all aware of them it is contextually accurate. 
Because in the context of what's being spoken about, even though it's in the form of one person being mentioned, it is in reference, obviously, to all people. So contextually, it is correct to say that. And the pronoun, therefore, returns back to the meaning that is intended here, that it is indeed all mankind. وَعَلَّقَ الْعِلْمَ بِذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, On that day Allah will be all knowledgeable of them, meaning يَوْمُ الْجَزَاءِ وَالْحِسَابِ وَإِلَّا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ فِي ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمُ وَفِيمَا قَبْلَهِ So it says, On that day Allah will be all knowledgeable of them, in reference to the fact that on that day they will be given their recompense and reward. Otherwise, Allah is all knowledgeable of all of them even before that day. It is not as though the knowledge of Allah is restricted to that day. That is only a reference that they will be rewarded and recompensed or punished on that day. But as for the knowledge of Allah, then of course it is uh, beyond that and before that and at all times. هذا هو التفسير اليسير لهذا لهذه السورة العظيمة. So this, the Sheikh says, is a brief tafsir of this particular chapter. وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْبَسْطِ فَعَلَيْهِ بِكُتُبِ التَّفَاسِيرِ Whoever wants to have more detail, then you have to go back to the bigger books of tafsir the Sheikh mentions. But this is just a brief tafsir highlighting to you the meanings of this chapter. Basically, the first few ayat of the chapter were... Allah taking an oath by those examples of the horses and running and and that's something well known and praised the horses in the Arabs and we know that Allah takes oath by the affairs of honor and dignity so Allah takes an oath and then upon that oath tells us these severe affairs of mankind in this world and his love for wealth and rejecting the blessings of Allah upon him and does he not remember that on that day when they are resurrected nothing will be hidden all of his inner workings will be laid bare, everything will become exposed, and so it is a reminder for a person to remember the afterlife and not to be dragged away by the pursuit of this world and the pursuit of wealth, but to remember that it is only what you require that you go for, and in the afterlife you will be tested on everything that you did, tested on your actions and what you did with your life. So a person must balance those affairs, that is a brief tafsir of that particular chapter. Inshallah ta'ala, the next time then, we'll start on the next one. إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا That chapter will begin from next week then, inshallah ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that for today then. Any questions or anything up to there? Alright, next week then inshallah ta'ala we'll start with the Idha Zul Zilat al Ardu Zil Zalaha.